0: Hi there, welcome back to another episode of Gamer's Guide to Ecology, where I play popular open-world RPGs from an ecological perspective. My name's Jesse D, and I'm an open-world RPG gamer with a master's degree in ecology and evolution. This month, I'm playing the multi-award-winning and Game of the Year recipient, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And on today's episode, I'll be talking about the gameplay and features of the game, as well as discussing biodiversity, animal behavior, and some other ecological concepts observable in the game. It was developed and published by Nintendo in 2017, and has been called one of the greatest video games of all time. Like most previous Zelda games, Breath of the Wild is an action-adventure RPG and puzzle game. The open world is massive, with a variety of ecosystems and climates, plants, and animals. You wake up as Link a hundred years after a calamitous event that saw the near-destruction of Hyrule. Princess Zelda has sealed Calamity Ganon inside Hyrule Castle, and as Link you must become stronger collecting heart and stamina containers by solving shrine puzzles, then rally ancient forces in the form of massive mechanical beasts, and collect the Master Sword before attempting to defeat Ganon. The multi-tool in Link's tool belt for puzzle solving is the Sheikah Slate. It's an ancient artifact that gives Link the ability to perform certain actions like freezing objects in time, creating small, remote detonated bombs, and moving metal objects with magnetism. There's also a camera feature that allows you to capture recordings of monsters, plants, animals, and fungi in the game. There are nearly 400 records that represent the game's compendium. Once you have captured a subject with the camera function, you can use the search function of the Sheikah Slate to locate more of that subject. This makes finding certain ingredients a lot easier, since the game features a crafting and survival mechanic where you can combine items into elixirs that boost specific stats or enhance resistance to elements or specific damage types. You can also cook food into nutritious dishes. That was really hard to say. Food is consumed to recover health. Link can climb nearly every surface in this game, but he loses his grip if his stamina bar empties, so be careful when climbing high. You can explore the vast world using the paraglider, gliding from cliffs, towers, or mountaintops to far-off waypoints. Be mindful of your stamina when using your paraglider too. Other actions that use up stamina are running and swimming, but don't worry, unlike hearts, stamina recovers quickly on its own. Besides the first few waypoints and tutorial-style introduction, the rest of the game is self-led and that allows the player to explore and progress in a non-linear way at their own pace. The combat style in Breath of the Wild is similar to previous Zelda games, with enemy lock-on, shields, and a bow. But there's a huge variety of weapons available in this game. One-handed weapons like wands, spears, and swords, and two-handed weapons like larger swords, hammers, axes, etc. What's new in this game is the weapon and shield durability feature. Weapons and shields become damaged and eventually break when used in combat. I find that it rains a lot in this game, and that the weather somehow clears up if you defeat monsters from a certain area, so that's kinda neat. Another cool thing about rain is that if there's a thunderstorm and you've got a metal shield or any other metal weapon equipped, you have a very high chance of getting struck by lightning, which can instantly kill you. One thing that's easy to miss about this game, which I actually missed for a very long time, is that you can upgrade your armor in this game. Basically you collect monster parts and give them to great fairies and they'll upgrade your clothing. Sometimes I play very late into the night, so I bet the game told me how to do it and I just missed it. Breath of the Wild, like Red Dead Redemption 2, features an expansive open-world map with a variety of biomes and climates, but it's more like Assassin's Creed in the sense that you have to access sync points to unlock the map features of a certain area. Anyway, there's the snowy peaks, a frigid mountain range, the Gerudo desert, an arid region to the southwest, numerous grasslands and forests, and other landscape features like swamps, waterfalls, lakes, and rivers, long coastlines, and even a volcano. There are a number of intelligent and sapient creatures in Breath of the Wild. Sapience means to have the intellectual capacity for thinking, reasoning, knowing, and understanding, using rational thought and acting on those thoughts. There are friendly creatures in the game that have their own civilizations and culture, like the Goron, Gerudo, Zora, and Rito. There are also hostile creatures that live together in small camps throughout Hyrule, such as Moblins, Bokoblins, and Lizalfoes, that I think would also be considered sapient. The rest of the animals and monsters in the game are sentient. Sentient means that a creature has the ability to sense and respond to its environment in a conscious way. For instance, moving away from a perceived danger, like when Link approaches deer in the forest, they'll flee. Speaking of animals, I should probably mention that the game has a surprising amount of biodiversity representing mammals, fish, birds, reptiles, and arthropods. There are 80 animals in the game, some examples being bass, crabs, foxes, wolves, dragonflies, deer, sheep, horses, squirrels, and more. And actually a surprising and almost comical variety of pigeons and sparrows. Most of the animals depicted in the game can also be found in real life, but of course there are some exaggerated and fictional animals too. An example of a fictional animal is the sand seal, which are aptly named since they swim through the sand of the Gerudo desert as if it was the sea. They resemble a cross between a walrus and a fur seal. Link can surf behind them as a quicker means to travel in the desert. There's a great horned rhinoceros in the game that is a two horned rhino with an exaggeratedly long front horn the threatened white rhinos we see on Earth are capable of growing long horns, but not quite to the same extent. In fact, this in-game animal more closely resembles the extinct woolly rhino in that it has thick tufts of hair and can be found in frigid regions. Anyway, the existence of the excessively large horn in this great horn rhinoceros could indicate strong sexual selection in this species. Sexual selection can mean that one sex is choosy over whom to mate with based on anatomy or a certain behavior. This is called intersexual selection, and is best observed in flashy species like birds of paradise or peacocks. Sexual selection can also mean that members of one sex compete with one another for access to members of the opposite sex. This is called intrasexual selection, and you can see it in action when two bighorn sheep slam their heads together, or in male lions fighting for leadership of the pride. Species that display sexual selection often have these arms races where the prettiest or toughest animal, or the animal with the biggest horns, gets to mate the most. Whether great horned rhinos use their horns for intra or intersexual selection remains unclear, as I haven't actually observed any sexual dimorphism, which is differences between the sexes, in this species. Because of that, I'm not even sure if I've seen members of both sexes. The only instance of sexual dimorphism I've seen in Breath of the Wild is in deer with both bucks and doe being found. Link can interact with most plants and animals in the game. You can cut down trees with an axe, pick fruit and mushrooms, catch bugs and fish, and even hunt. You can also use some animals as mounts, meaning you can climb onto their backs and ride them around as transportation. Mounts include deer, moose, horses, and even bears. Oh my! I found the controls for riding mounts in this game are very clunky, worse even than the previous Assassin's Creed game that I talked about last episode. The horses don't seem to want to go in a straight line, or even start moving until you usher them on. I'm not sure, but maybe this is part of the training phase? When you first get a mount, you have to bond to it, just like in Red Dead Redemption 2. The more you ride a horse, the more it likes you. However, you can encourage this process along in Breath of the Wild by soothing your horse when it does something you like. So I consider this a bit of a training phase because until it's bonded at a high enough level, the horse will randomly drift in another direction than the one you're riding. Eventually, though, it'll follow what you're asking of it, and this training phase is a unique experience for me in video games. Once I figured out what it was, I actually quite liked it, because it resembles how you might train an animal in real life by rewarding them with praise or treats if they do the thing you want. Like other games, hunting yields food, but you have to cook it if you want the most nutrition out of it. Hunting doesn't yield hides, but it does sometimes yield special animal parts that you can use to upgrade your clothing slash armor. In Breath of the Wild, you can see farming of both plants and animals, and of course, the iconic cuckoo are still present, so try jumping off the highest cliff and soaring as far as you can. I would argue that cuckoos have become a form of obligate mutualism in Zelda games. Obligate mutualism is a special relationship where, for instance, Hylians, and players for that matter, and cuckoos are so dependent on the relationship that one cannot live without the other. In terms of other ecological principles, one can also observe a high level of ecosystem disturbance due to the calamity, and succession occurring in places that were previously inhabited by Hylians, such as the Temple of Time, where trees and grasses have reclaimed the space after a century. With the new bi-weekly podcast format, I wanted to start a new audience participation section too, so send me weird ecological things you notice about video games. I'll go first. I've noticed that not a lot of video games that model animals actually show anything other than adults. You hardly ever see baby animals in video games, and I don't know if it's because they're hard to model or if the developers just think we won't notice. An alternative is that baby animals in video games might experience high levels of mortality, and that survivorship increases with age. This would lead to what's called a type 3 survivorship curve. Type 1 is the opposite, where young individuals have high survivorship, and mortality increases with age. In type 2 survivorship curves, there's a constant rate of survival throughout life. You can see that this is a pretty complex ecological principle, so it's probably why it's not depicted very much. Another thing that I've noticed that not a lot of games do well, or even attempt, is ecosystem edge effects. Edge effects are changes in community structure that occur at the boundary of habitats. Like how you'll see more red-tailed hawks hunting along the edge of a forest that borders a farm field, or a highway, than in the forest itself. When habitats are fragmented, it can also lead to a reduction in total area due to edge effect. This can look like a smooth transitional or buffer zone between the two habitats, where tall trees change to shrubs and bushes and eventually grass. A reduction in habitat area can lead to a decrease in species richness, which if you remember, is how many species you can find in an area, or species abundance, which is how many individuals of one species you can find in that area. These environmental changes can be good for some species, but bad for others. This effect would probably also be very difficult for developers to model. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild has a little bit of something for everyone. Open-world RPG, combat and character improvement, completionism collections, survival and crafting, puzzle solving and mini-games, or challenges. I think the developers did a good job modeling ecology all around, from large-scale biomes to landscape features to basic individual animal behaviors and other ecological concepts like biodiversity, sexual selection, and succession. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening and download new episodes as they come out. Your support means that I can buy more open world and RPG games and keep making episodes about in-game ecology. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to catch you next time. Podcast art is by Lara LeBlanc, and theme music is called Rain Song by Brett Eagleston. You can hear more of his music at bretteagleston.bandcamp.com.